When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And here we go. Welcome to the first episode of The Call-Up, your go-to MLB prospects podcast where you'll be hearing from the top prospects in baseball. You'll be hearing about the top prospects in baseball, but not just the top ones, right? We're talking about underrated prospects in this episode. And you know, and then I try to keep no stone left unturned when it comes to the prospect world. We'll be going through all 30 farm systems As the show progresses, we'll be talking to prospects from all 30 farm systems as the show progresses. And as I mentioned in the little intro, if you have not caught that, the little four-minute welcome to the call-up type of uh, episode I put out just to give you a little bit of a background if you were not familiar with Locked On MLB Prospects, which was the podcast I hosted for a while over on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is going to be similar in some aspects where I will have some solo episodes here and there uh, talking about either my top prospect list that I'm putting out or just some general prospect conversation, especially when the season starts, but a lot more interviews with some of the biggest names in the minor league ranks and prospect world and some of the names that you might want to know about, right? I mean, what was cool about Locked On MLB Prospects back when I was hosting that, I had some guys like Joey Weimer on there and some other names like Greg Jones. Weimer right before he really exploded and it was cool to kind of see those players continue to explode afterwards and you could go back and revisit that interview and hear some of those things. Same thing with Alec Burleson. So you can expect a lot more of that. This show is going to tie in really well with editorial over at JustBaseball.com, and that's what I'm really excited about, too. I also realized I didn't even mention, of course, I'm Aram Layton, the host. I'm so excited about this new show, I, I didn't even mention who is hosting it right now, but I figured that was implied anyways, but welcome to the call-up. Back to the point, I am going to be tying this all in with editorial really well, because I'm really excited about what we're building at JustBaseball.com, and I think it's a really awesome opportunity to be able to tie in our multimedia channels. So if I'm doing a swing breakdown for our YouTube, that's going to go into an article as well, and I'll probably talk about it on the podcast also. So you can go to that article, and you'll have the podcast, you'll have video, and you'll have the written breakdowns as well, even in this episode, right? As I put out this episode, there's also going to be an article 
which is just the written write-ups and a little bit of a background with some more information and video on each of these underrated prospects that I mentioned. So you get the best of, I wouldn't even say both worlds, I'd say all worlds, because if you just wanna listen, you can listen. But if you are in a long train ride, car ride, whatever it may be, and you wanna follow along with some written stuff or some video to look at as you are listening to the podcast, JustBaseball.com can facilitate that as well. Enough with the plugs here. The last thing I'll say, though, is stay tuned over the next couple weeks. There are some interviews that I am very excited about that we have lined up with. I don't want to oversell it, but it's pretty hard to oversell it. I think you'll really be pumped up about some of these interviews we have in the future. And of course, my good friend Griffin Conine, it's a rule. He's got to be one of the first guests every time I launch a new show or do a new venture. Uh, And he's a lot of fun. And I'm excited to talk to him about some of the swing changes and adjustments he's been making at the plate. He looks really good. But we're going to talk about underrated prospects today. And there are a lot of names, right? I mean, you got to title something like this, baseball's most underrated prospects, because if I say some of baseball's underrated prospects, it's not really as interesting. I would say, though, there's probably some names that I'm not going to get to today because there's so many underrated prospects after the 2020 season was canceled. I think that's an important point, too, that I mentioned in the article because it's it's really interesting when you have no 2020 season, a lot of guys that were drafted in 2020 did not really play at all. So this was our first look at them in 2021. Then you also had the international free agents or the young players from the Dominican Summer League that we would have seen in 2020 that instead made their debuts in 2021. And just more prospects in general that were more in prevalence in 2021. And it was just a flooding of players. It was a lot more than we're used to. And for that reason, I think a lot of players got lost and slipped between the cracks in terms of their ability and not quite getting recognized as much as maybe they should. Uh, That is also just something that happens in the prospect world in general because there's so many darn prospects. So these are some of my favorite underrated prospects, or at least some that I'm most knowledgeable and have seen the most of. But again, I'm sure there's several, several underrated prospects I didn't get to. And that's why we're probably going to make this a continuous series where every couple of weeks I'll be highlighting some more underrated prospects because I'm always stumbling across more guys that I am a huge fan of and do more digging on the video, do more digging on the numbers and the data and end up adding them to the list of guys that I am higher on or really excited about that aren't quite getting the fanfare or attention that they should be getting. So I'll start with my number one guy. This is a guy that if you ask Cleveland fans, they probably don't think he's underrated. They all know who he is because I think Cleveland fans have actually been asking me about him for a little bit in the DMs. And I am a huge, huge fan of this guy. I could not have watched more of him over the last couple months. I've talked to a lot of pitchers that have faced him and they all share the same sentiment. And it's Jakensi Noel, corner infielder for the Cleveland Guardians and My goodness, does this dude absolutely mash. And I'm going to start with just his numbers because his sheer numbers are crazy. But again, there's it's more than just low A and high A numbers, right? I mean, if we're just citing prospects based on that, anybody could just go and check out fan graphs. But what was really amazing to me is after looking at the numbers, then watching more video, watching more and more of his swing and how it works and how he was able to have so much success, then also talking to pitchers who faced him and digging back into full at bats and what makes him so difficult to get out. I was just wowed by this kid over with the Cleveland Guardians. Only 20 years old, corner infielder, was signed for $100,000. And I keep saying it. I keep, keep saying it. I really feel like 
given how murky the international free agent market is with transparency and just which players are really their age, their ability in terms of some of the numbers that uh, we'll see thrown out there and things like that. There's a lot that goes into international free agency. And there's so many top prospects that were $50,000, $100,000 guys in international free agency. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of $4 million guys that are phenomenal as well. Uh, But I I think if you play the percentages and sign a bunch of $100,000 guys, a few of those guys are definitely going to pan out. Of course, you can go get the big fish and also get several $50,000, $100,000 prospects. That's a bit of a detour, not something I'm going to talk about in an entire episode by itself because there's some interesting talking points within that. But back to Jakensey Noel, because what he did this year is just ridiculous. 340, 390, 615 slash line in 70 games between low A and high A. 19 home runs, 161 WRC plus, 21% K rate, 6% walk rate. Let's start with all of the positives. There are some small little nitpicky things, but again, he's 20 years old and he was 19 years old for the season. That's an important note too. He's 20 years and five months. So for a majority of the season, his birthday is actually two days before mine on July 15th. So a teenager for most of the year and even at points when he was called up to high A and only 70 games, but in those 70 games to do what he did was was just outrageous. When he got called up to high A, did see a little bit more swing and miss, but also did offset that with a higher walk rate. So all around still really consistently good there. 136 WRC plus in his 26 games in high A, a 189 WRC plus in his 38 games in low A, but overall, phenomenal year. Noel is a monster. He's listed at 6'8", 190, but I just don't believe it. He, he's way more physical than that, or at least he looks to be, but if for whatever reason, he is actually only 180, 190 pounds. Uh, it doesn't really matter because the power is so insanely legit, uh, and that is what really stands out to me is how many of his home runs were over 110 miles an hour? In fact, the answer is eight of them. Eight of his home runs were over 110 miles an hour. So more than a third, closer to half of his home runs were over 110, which is crazy for a 19-year-old. He actually hit 112 mile per hour home runs and back-to-back at-bats, which is just ridiculous. What makes Noel so impressive is, of course, the power and ability to just hit combined. But the reason why he's able to do that is he doesn't move. He really just knows that he can supply a ton of power without a ton of effort, and he starts really pre-stacked on his backside. If you look at his setup, he already has his weight shifted onto his backside and is able to stay on his back hip way longer because he doesn't have to load back into it. He's almost already there. He just has a leg kick that keeps him there, and then he launches, and it really works for him. He has crazy power to all fields, but of course, to pull side, I would give it plus plus. And that body control that I mentioned has really allowed him to crush all types of pitches. He crushes everything. Noel posted an 1120 OPS against fastballs, a OPS of 950 against breaking balls, and 1156 against changeups. So he hit everything. He hit everything. And the reason why, again, is because of how well he controls his body and how well he's able to stay on his back hip. It's, it's so important, and you don't really see that from young hitters. And the fact that Noel knows, hey, I don't need to do too much to run into some crazy power. I might as well make this as simple as possible and is able to realize that power 
is unbelievable uh, at his age, at just 20 years old. And that's why I'm so high on this guy. The one thing that, if we're going to get a little bit nitpicky, he is super aggressive. And it's hard to not be aggressive when you're 19 years old and you feel like you can hit everything. Because in low A, he was hitting everything. And when you have those kind of bat-to-ball skills, it's really hard to justify not really pulling the trigger often, right? It's, it's hard to justify not being aggressive. And when he was in low A, he only struck out 17% of the time. So what happens when he gets to high A is pitchers are a little bit better. Pitchers have a little bit more command of the fastball and a little bit more life on it as they're starting to focus more on the spin rates and the life up in the zone and all of that good stuff. And that was what did him in a little bit. And, and did him in is a very exaggerated term there because he's still posted a 900 OPS and a 136 WRC plus in high A. But the reason why we saw his strikeout rate rise from 17% to 28% was that pitchers at the high A level, as I was watching more, were just utilizing his aggressiveness against him, right? They were going high heaters, a ton of heaters up at the letters, and he, and he was pulling the trigger at him, and he was swinging and missing or fouling him off. He was much more patient down the stretch. That's why we saw the walk rate almost double from 4% in low A to 8% in high A, but that was the one thing is pitchers were trying to get him out, and it was so hard to get him out prior that the only way to really do it, you, you can't beat him with any pitches in the zone for the most part. It's it's really hard. They were just trying to get him to get himself out, and he was doing that a little bit with the elevated heaters, and that's something to watch moving forward, but he still was able to have a ton of success because he didn't miss the pitches that were in the zone, and as he refines his approach, I don't really see how this guy isn't going to be a successful hitter through the minor leagues and an impact big leaguer. He reminds me a little bit of Eloy Jimenez, and this is a guy that's going to be on the top 100 watch as we get ready to update it. A lot of these guys are. I'd say almost everybody on this list is either already on our top 100, they're underrated because they're not on any other top 100s, or they're knocking on the door of it. But when you're putting up exit velos as high as 117 miles an hour, routinely above 110 miles per hour, I'm just so impressed with his ability to hit for power and hit for contact as well. And of course, I've talked to pitchers that said, yeah, we just didn't even know how to get him out. And he's got this confidence to him. He's got this swagger to him. And he's got all of those things you look for for an impact middle-of-the-order bat. When it comes to the defense, uh, that's going to be a little bit of a thing to be sorted out. I was watching him at third. Don't love the glove at third. He's still young and could work it out there. And I think he could at least be an average defender if he can develop there. Uh, But there's definitely a high probability he ends up at first base this is a bat-first prospect regardless. I'd probably bet on him ending up at first base, uh, but you know, you never know. His arm's good, but the actions are a little weak. The footwork's not great, uh, so that'll be something to watch, but th- this guy, it's all about the bat. He could end up in a corner outfield spot potentially. He doesn't move that well, so he would probably be a subpar outfielder out there as well, uh, but he could definitely hold it down at first base. I think he'd be a more than average first baseman third base the actions are not fantastic and that's something to watch as we go into next year but the bat is going to play in high a and i expect him to get a quick promotion to double a if he does start in high a there's a chance that he could be in double a pretty darn quickly uh next year coming up next is another guy who i really i want to apologize to Pirates fans because I did not give this guy enough love in our top 10 list for the Pirates farm system. It's Andy Rodriguez. Andy Rodriguez, switch hitting catcher, came over from the Mets in a deal, and this guy is freaking good. Like, I I was floored. The more I watched, the more floored I was with this guy, and I don't know why he's not getting more love. 
not only should I have been way more bullish on him in the Pirates' top 10, this is somebody that I'm looking at to potentially throw onto our top 100 list after a good start to 2022. If, if he looks the way he looked in 2021, there's no reason for him not to be a top 100 guy. This is, I'm fully owning this one. This was a miss by me. This was a flat out miss. And I, at least I'm not alone on this. I don't really see him very high on any prospect rankings. I'm starting to see him trickle into the top 10 uh, for some rankings on, uh, you know, Pirates system. But this guy is not only a shoe in top 10 guy for the Pirates, we, we got to start watching him as a legitimate top 100 candidate. A little bit more background on him, switch hitting catcher with phenomenal bat to ball skills, a rocket for an arm behind the dish, and really saw the power start to come out last year. His numbers last season, 294, 385, 12 in low A. And remember, this is a young kid too. He's only 21 years old, but running into 15 home runs when you're only striking out 17.7% of the time, 140 WRC plus is, is phenomenal. But when he got the contact rate, the power really started to emerge, especially from the left side. I love his swing from the left side, but the production was just as good from the right side. So looking like a true switch hitter, he is a very polished hitter for his age as well and for his experience. He's somebody that you know really could have used the 2020 season because before getting sent over from the Mets to the Pirates, had not played more than about 30 games in a season, and they were all in rookie ball. So somebody that we had not seen a ton of had put up some good numbers in rookie ball, didn't show much power. So we really saw the power shine through. He added some muscle and also just found a way to lift the ball a little bit easier. And he is another hitter that really stays in his lower half well. There's not a ton of effort in his swing, even when he's going yard, and just controls his body phenomenally and has the bat-to-ball skills to back it up off the charts zone contact rate for a young switch hitting catcher uh, producing close to 90% zone contact numbers. I think it's closer to 88, 89% there, which is just fantastic for a switch hitter that was running into the power that he did 15 home runs in 98 games. And again, the right-handed swing, not as pretty, but that's always an aesthetic thing too from the left side. But the right-handed swing is very similar to his left-handed swing. I would say it's a bit more flat, more line drive driven, but that's fine. You're just trying to hit lefties, right? And that's something that he could clearly do from the right side. The numbers were great there. And again, the body control was was more evident on that side as well from some soft throwing lefties. He was able to stay back, drive the ball to all fields. This is somebody that should be on all everybody's radar as we move into next year. It's a guy whose cards I'm buying up for transparency as well. And, you know, when you got the elite zone contact or at least above average zone contact and now above average power, you got to like this guy. When I was also floored by was how good he was behind the dish. The receiving could use a little bit of work and blocking fundamentals a little bit as well because he's so confident in his ability to pick things. I'm watching him pick a ton of backhands and throw guys out. He's got a plus arm behind the dish. His hands work really well, so that's why I'm not worried about his receiving long-term. I'm not worried about his ability to block because he's a good athlete, Uh, but it's more just fundamental stuff behind the dish. His arm plays. He was gunning dudes down left and right, and while you look at the caught stealing numbers, they may not be as good as you would expect after watching him behind the dish. It's because of the stupid stolen base rules early in the year, especially in low A, Uh, but when I'm watching the videos and watching 
his individual games. He was throwing guys out on balls that he was picking off his backhand. He threw some guys out from his knees at second base. He's got a rifle for an arm and really good hands, and he transfers quickly. He's going to be an above-average defensive catcher, in my opinion. He's going to be an above-average hitter. As a switch-hitting guy that now is showing power, I really don't know how I missed this guy and my prospect right up for the Pirates. And again, I'm formally apologizing. I pride myself on leaving no stone left unturned, like I said earlier. Uh, But this is somebody I am just watching more and more of. And I I don't really know if I can justify keeping him off the top 100 list if he comes out swinging it in high A next year. Somebody that's also going to be well inside the Pirates' top 10. Uh, as we update that, even though the Pirates are starting to load up on some more prospects again, I loved the Kyle Nicholas acquisition for them uh, in that Jacob Stallings deal. That was a great pickup for them, and I'm a big fan of Nicholas. He will probably be a guy that we'll be able to get on the show at some point as well. He's got great stuff and a big power fastball. But back to Andy Rodriguez. Should be in high A next year. You know, there's a big jump on the defensive side of things for a catcher, too. You know, we saw that with Dylan Dingler as he made the jump from high A to double A because his bat was playing so well. His bat tailed off because it's a lot to handle in terms of the pitching staff and everything that comes with it for a catcher's responsibility. So I don't expect them to be as aggressive, even though the bat would play, I think, even at double A right now. I really think it would. Probably going to take his time in high A just because of all that comes with the territory as a catcher. Uh, But I I would be surprised if he doesn't make it up to double A at some point next year. And I'm very excited about Andy Rodriguez and his future with Pittsburgh. Next up is a guy who is probably trending towards not being underrated. But, you know, I I feel like I've been talking about him for so long that it might just be a little bit more in my head in terms of him getting more attention. It might just be that I'm feel like I'm giving him all the attention. So I still am not seeing him make his way up the consensus rankings, and I'm still not seeing him get enough love outside of Ray's circles. So for Curtis Mead, he is still going to be considered underrated for me, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Mead. Somebody I talked about a ton on Lockdown MLB Prospects, so if you're making your way over from Lockdown MLB Prospects, you probably heard this whole spiel before, but I am a huge Curtis Mead fan. I have been for a while, and you know I was really excited to see what he did in the Arizona Fall League, where I feel like that was big for him to start to get some more attention and traction, having set the hitting streak record for the Arizona Fall League and hitting 313 with three jacks there and an 890 OPS. That was after this season where between low A, high A, and then four games in triple A, he just skipped double and they wanted to get him some more ABs and the triple A season runs the longest. So he got four games out there where he also hit fantastically at six. I don't even know if that's a word. Sorry. He was six for 14 in those four games in triple A. So he, he didn't really bat an eye. Went from low A, high A, and then to triple A and didn't bat an eye. So in those 104 games, 321, 378, 533 slash line, 15 home runs, and just outrageous amount of contact. Doesn't strike out much. 15% K rate between all of those levels. 7.4% walk rate. 141 WRC plus. And his swing, it reminds me so much of another Ray, Evan Longoria. He starts very upright, but his control is phenomenal. He gets into his lower half as he loads up. And he is so comfortable driving the ball to all fields. This is one of those instances where I always say the Rays make a living off of identifying prospects who are undervalued by their own team. 
And it's exactly what the Rays did with Randy Rosarena. It's exactly what the Rays have done in the past on numerous occasions with so many different prospects. And I would say that Curtis Mead is the latest example of that as well, where the Phillies didn't really know what they had there. And they sent him out for a pitcher named Christopher Sanchez. And uh, yeah, not, not a great move. Not a great move. And Mead's a guy that we have 58. He's 58th on our top 100 prospect list, and he can play all over. He could really play all over the diamond. So I'm, I'm interested to see you know, where they ultimately stick him. The Rays do. He can play second base the best. Probably that's where I see him probably playing the most. But he can play third. He can play outfield. He can do a little bit of everything. Of course, can play first too. His swing is just so geared for line drives. And you know that's why he hit so many extra base hits. He had 38 doubles last year as well. It's a double swing where, I mean, he's going gap to gap, just driving the ball. The barrel lives in the zone. He squares up everything. But he's also gotten better at knowing when to try to do damage. And when he's ahead in the count, he'll try to lift a little bit more. And that's exactly what we saw him do with some more success. Adding some strength did that help that too. Uh, He's an Australian native and during COVID went and played in the Australian league. And that was good for him because he was able to get some more uh, at-bats. And I felt like that was a big transitional period for him of taking his game to the next level. While a lot of players were not doing anything in the minor leagues, he was able to get a lot of ABs over in that Australian league where he, he of course, mashed over there too. This is a guy that I have no idea where the Rays are going to start him because he did get those four games in AAA. I think that was more to just get him more ABs because they clearly wanted to do so after sending him to the Arizona Fall League 2. He could start in AA. I think he's capable of starting in AAA, and he's somebody that could be big league ready very quickly. I would argue he's pretty close to big league ready now. I mean, you see the contact rates. Again, another guy that's pushing 90% zone contact, which is elite, uh, with the power now that he is showing. I mean, he's put up really strong exit velos. He's shown that he can drive the ball out of the yard to all fields. And he's also somebody that's more of a doubles guy that runs into homers because he hits the ball so hard. I mean, Albert Pujols, for example, not comparing them, but Albert Pujols will always tell you he's a line drive hitter. His home runs, for the most part, were line drives that he just got all of. And I see Meade, the home runs he usually hits are just line drives that he got all of. Uh, But there's times now where we're seeing him leverage and try and lift and do damage. And uh, that's a good thing to see because he's never going to lose that uh, contact-oriented ability and ability to battle with two strikes and drive the ball to all fields. Defensive versatility as well. This is somebody that, you know, I I really don't understand how he's not on every top 100 list because of all the things he brings. He's a good athlete as well, moves pretty decently, swiped 11 bags, above average runner, smart player, and I am a huge, huge Curtis Mead guy, and of course he's a Rays player. I think he could help them next year if they need any help. I don't really see how they could need help at second base, but he could play all over the diamond, and I really do believe that part of the reason why the Rays were okay with trading Joey Wendell was the fact that Meade can slide all over the diamond. It's also because they have a bajillion middle infielders, but I do think that Meade's uh, close to big league readiness was part of the reason why Joey Wendell was sent over to the Marlins. And also another trade that I really liked for the Rays, getting Cameron Meisner, a super athletic outfielder from the fish. That's somebody that I know they specifically targeted there as well. Next up, I'm going to come at you with a couple of reds, but I'm going to focus on one and then just name a couple in passing that uh, I will definitely talk about more in the future, especially as we dive more into the red system. But I want to spend more time on Graham Ashcraft, right-handed pitching prospect for the Reds, who I had ranked at number six in the Reds' top prospect rankings that we just put out uh, for their farm system rankings. Ashcraft had a spectacular season between high A and double A, 111 innings, three flat ERA, 2.86 FIP, 
a 1.11 whip and 28.4% K rate, 8% walk rate. There's a lot of things that really stand out to me about Ashcraft. One is the fact that he throws the most bizarre fastball that at times he cuts really hard and it's more of a cutter, a gyro type cutter. And then he also will throw it as a four seamer. I would venture to say that it's intentional manipulation, but some pitchers just naturally cut. I mean, Mariano Rivera naturally cut his fastball and it was kind of found by accident. I don't know. I would love to talk to Ashcraft about this, but you know, his fastball has the exact or at least a damn close movement profile to Emmanuel Class A's. I'm not kidding. It is nearly identical in terms of the way it moves and its effectiveness. And that's why Ashcraft was able to have so much success last year. He found an incredible balance of just getting a ton of swing and miss and a ton of ground balls. 60.5% ground ball rate and a K rate at nearly 30%. You don't see that. I could probably pull the stats on that I want to later. And I doubt that there are more than, he might be the only guy that did that. I would be shocked if anybody else really did that in that kind of sample size. And what was amazing about this gyro-ish fastball that he throws is it really drops off the table. It cuts a little bit, drops, and it's just got crazy late break to it. He's comfortable burying it under the bat of left-handed hitters. It's actually better against lefties. It's great against righties, though. It gets more ground balls there, but lefties really jams them in and buries in under their hands. Lefties had a just 448 or 445, excuse me, OPS against him last year with a 34% K rate. Righties had a 656 OPS, which isn't good either, and a 24% K rate. So you can see the reverse splits there. His secondary pitch is disgusting too. It's a slider that is almost like a power slurve, 85 to 88 miles per hour, tops out at 90. So you have this gyro cutter that kind of breaks downwards with a little bit of horizontal break uh, to his glove side. Then you have this power pitch that also has a more dramatic break to it. And then he'll also mix in a four-seamer that's straighter. It's it's a really difficult and strange arsenal. Uh, it's not something you typically see. The changeup he's mixed in on occasion looks pretty, pretty good. It has a chance to be above average, but just not enough comfort with it. And then he has a below average curveball that he'll just flash to show a distinct uh, third speed. The challenge here with Ashcraft is it's that cutterish fastball. Then it's a four seamer that he'll throw at times as well. But I'm not really going to count that as two pitches. You really have the power breaking ball and the, and the gyro cutter as his two main pitches. But I really think he could get away with that for the most part, especially if he just sprinkles in some of these other offerings here and there. I think the numbers backed it up as he was still successful in double A. But I would like to see him, of course, find the curveball or the changeup, one of the two. He just needs that third speed. But he shows that he can have success with those two pitches. And because of the amount of ground balls he gets on that gyro cutter, I think he could get away with it. But if he wants to take his game to the next level, if he wants to be you know, more of that number three guy or number two guy, I think that, you know, he's got to mix in that third pitch. But also with that cut fastball in the 95 to 97 range, which again is is why it reminds me a little bit of Class A. If, if you had Ashcraft in the bullpen or coming out as a closer, he'd be closer to 98, 99, and it wouldn't be too far off. And again, the movement profile, very, very similar. I am a big fan of what I've seen from Ashcraft. He actually delayed my Reds prospects right up by a little bit because of how good he was and how interesting he was. I was just so floored by his stuff and the movement profile on it uh, and the Rapsodo data on it. I was like, I need I need to just give this guy more time. I need to look at this guy more. And I, the more people I talked to about it, they, they all had similar takeaways of just how unique he is. 
and I'm a big fan of his. Really looking forward to seeing more from him. Two other Reds guys just to keep an eye on as we go into next season. I'm a big fan of Alan Serda. Big time power. There's some swing and miss though. So, you know, I could see the season going a lot of different ways, but he made some adjustments to his swing and looked really good in high A. Made the jump from low A to high A and actually cut his K rate down because of the adjustments that he made. Big time power, good athlete, and improving bat to ball skills. And then another guy, Ellie De La Cruz, tools galore. I'm going to give him a lot of spotlight in an episode coming up. A guy that's got top 100 potential might even be on our update because he's a plus-plus runner, switch hitter, plus power, rocket for an arm. I really, another guy that I'm looking at to potentially ascend up the top prospect rankings. A few more names to go over quickly on the pitching side that I really like. One other guy that was... He rounded out our top 100 list this year, and that was Xavion Curry of the Cleveland Guardians. Just a really solid pitching prospect all around. High floor guy that I still think has a chance to be a number three floor of a number four type of pitcher because of his nasty breaking ball combination. I typically don't like the low velo breaking balls, you know, the 75 mile per hour curveballs generally don't play as well, but with the way Xavier Curry is able to mix his stuff up, his does play really well. It tunnels off of his four-seamer extremely well because it's a downward curveball breaking, you know, 12 to 6. His fastball has a ton of life up in the zone and he gets a ton of swings and misses on it. And I just love the mix that he can give you. He's a four-seamer that is not the most electric in the world, right? I mean, it is around 92 to 94 miles per hour, but a pretty high spin doesn't drop too much. It's got a ton of life. Like I said earlier, it really stays on plane and uh, is very effective when elevated. So you have that tunneling off of or tunneling off of that is a downer curveball with a ton of late bite. That's around 74 to 76 miles per hour. And that pitch is is just nasty. It it is just flat out nasty. And opponents could not hit it last year. 344 OPS against that pitch. But then he'll also mix in a slider around the same amount of the time that he gets a ton of chase on and just was another offering that played really well. The slider was more 82 to 85 miles per hour. And that was another pitch, though, that nobody really hit. 466 OPS against that pitch as well. And he has the three speeds there from the four-seamer, the slider, and the curveball. He's tried to mix in a changeup. That's the pitch that is just lagging behind right now uh, is that changeup from Curry. But overall, he's already got the three speeds. He's got a lively fastball. As long as the command continues to trend in the right direction, I think this guy's got a great three-pitch mix that should make him a really solid number four type of starter with a little bit more upside than that, potentially. If he finds the changeup, that'll give him a little bit more to go at lefties with. Uh, But I think that 12-6 curveball will be more than effective against lefties. And of course, the fastball will be great elevated there. His numbers overall in the season were very strong in high A and double A. He made a couple starts in double A to finish up the year. But between those two levels, 19 starts, 2.30 ERA. He struck out 123 batters in 97 and two-thirds innings. I mean, just all around a very strong season. And what was most impressive was the K to BB ratio. 32% of batters he struck out, only 4% walk rate. I mean, when you got a 28% K minus BB percentage, fantastic. 0.89 whip, 195 opponent batting average. This guy can pitch. I think he's going to run into some issues at times when he misses his spots or when he's trying to elevate that fastball where he may give up a decent amount of home runs here and there. But overall, the stuff is great. 
I actually played him in a summer tournament way back, and he was a shortstop at the time, committed to Georgia Tech, and ended up being a two-way guy, mostly pitched by the time he got to his sophomore year. But his athleticism can be seen on the mound, and that's why his command is so good. He repeats his mechanics really well. He's a great athlete all around and a name to watch as we go into next year. For a system that also just identifies and develops pitching as well as anybody. So that is another reason why you should be keeping up with him as well. Last but not least is a name that I'm frankly still surprised is not getting more love. I I was fully expecting to see him on more top prospect lists, but just not the case. It's Brandon Williamson of the Seattle Mariners. And I think he's a little bit more known than a lot of the other names that I had mentioned in this episode, but still surprising to see Williamson not get as much love as he deserves. And yes, he is 23, going to be 24 years old by next year, but he already had a ton of success at the double A level. I'll take you through his numbers uh, between the two levels uh, because they're pretty much similar. If you compile them together, if anything, he was better in double A. He did make six starts in high A where He just struck everybody out. It was kind of dumb. He struck out 17 batters per nine innings there, which if you want it in terms of how many strikeouts and how many innings, 59 Ks and 31 innings is just just ridiculous. 59 Ks against 10 walks, 3.19 ERA there. Uh, The command was pretty strong, kept the walk rate pretty low at just 2.9 per nine innings. FIP strong at 3.11. So he gets the promotion to double A, obviously, right? Like no one can even touch him. It's not even fair. Like get him out of there and they get him up to double A. And in 13 starts there, 67 and a thirds innings, he strikes out nearly 13 batters per nine innings. Walk rate remains consistently solid. ERA remains consistent at 3.48, FIP at 3.24, so pretty much the same. 94 Ks, that is, and 67 and a thirds innings. So if you marry those two together overall, because that can give me the percentages here, he actually struck out, which which is crazy. If you, When you look at the percentages and you think about it from that angle, 37.4% of batters he struck out last year, 8% walk rate, So that's a 29.3% K minus BB. That would be one of the better in all of the minor leagues. Not to mention that Williamson is a six foot six left-handed pitcher that has great stuff all around. Obviously, you're not getting those kind of K rates if you don't have great stuff. Fastball 92 to 95, but a ton of life. He'll also come at you with a pair of breaking balls that are very different, very distinguishable, which I love. The slider is mid-80s with just late bite to it and was really difficult for both lefties and righties hit, obviously much better against lefties and just was gave him fits, but he also could bury that in on the hands of righties and was an effective pitch around 500 OPS against four opponents. Then a curveball that he would also mix in around the same amount of the time, upper 70s, good power, downward breaking pitch that was really good against both lefties and righties. The one pitch I want to see continue to develop is the changeup. He struggled to locate that. It would get firm on him at times, but he showed a willingness to throw it, and that's something to watch uh, to be able to get more righties out, but the breaking ball works against righties. The fastball is lively and gets swings and misses, and he still has shown some confidence to bury the slider in on righties, but of course the changeup would just give him a whole new look and make him even more difficult against right-handed hitters, but all in all, I mean, he is tough to hit no matter what side of the plate you bat from. The breakdown, though, I mean, it it is pretty darn hard for lefties to even touch him. They struck out 40% of the time against him this past year, whereas righties struck out about 35% of the time with a with an OPS about 70 points higher. Still just ridiculous against hitters from both sides. It's pretty nitpicky there. So overall, when when you're dominating 
righties too as a lefty that doesn't have a great changeup. There's probably not as much worry about that changeup, though, of course, it would be great to see him develop it a bit further. Fastball just gets tons of swings and misses up in the zone. He is deceptive. He's long. He is able to repeat his mechanics very well for a six foot six lefty. Another guy in just a loaded system that could get up to the big leagues next year at some point midseason, maybe on the other side of the all-star break and help them. I think he could be up even sooner given what he has shown command wise. I'd like to see the change up uh, before he gets up to the big leagues be at least a little bit more usable. But overall, I mean, it's just crazy the amount of swing and miss he can get on the heater. And that's a big factor for him, and I think something that's really going to help him at the big league level as well because of the fact that it just stays on a straight line and is just not dropping whatsoever. Another name that, guess what, will be on our top 100 prospect list when we update in the next few weeks, and I'm excited for that episode as well. Uh, That'll do it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of The Call-Up. It's going to be a lot more interactive, too, with other people. It's not always just going to be me talking. Uh, I know that that was something that people enjoyed on Locked On MLB Prospects as a vast majority of those episodes were me by myself, so I'll still be doing a lot of that like this episode, but still probably more interviews and conversations with other people as well than I probably had in the past because we're not fitting the everyday schedule. It's going to be a couple times a week, uh, but big time interviews coming up moving forward. Follow me on Twitter. The Twitter account is the underscore call up pod and definitely go give me a follow over there so you can keep up with who we're going to be having on the show moving forward and uh, some programming notes when I'm going to be talking about prospect rankings. And of course, that's where I'm going to be answering a lot of the questions, mailbags and all of that good stuff as well. So be sure to go check it out over there. Also a reminder that this write-up, a lot of the write-ups on these players with video will be available on JustBaseball.com by the time you're listening to this as well. So thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please leave a rating as I'm starting from ground zero. So if we could get some more ratings piling in there, that would be phenomenal. And I look forward to talking prospects with you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.